0: Should GBS leaders be like entrepreneurs? And should they take their services externally?
1: I know that that's a cheating answer, but I really think it depends on your experience.
0: How do you think about evolving with time?
1: A lot of people saying we're data rich, but information poor. I think Mm -hmm. that there is a key spot for GBS to get in there.
0: Would BPOs be alive 10 years from now? There's a lot of debate out there.
1: It'd be hard for me to imagine them not to be around 10 years from now.
0: Welcome to GBS Masterminds Podcast, Season 4. Season 4 is all about what is the future of GBS? Should it be a spun-off and be its own company? Should it continue to be in-house of a large corporation? Or should it sell its services for a profit? Today, our guest is Candace, who's a GBS leader. Candice, would you like to introduce yourself and a bit about your background? Yes,
1: thank you. So my name is Candice Dingman. I am the Global Shared Services Leader for Organon. Uh, We spun off from Merck Pharmaceutical a little bit over two years ago now. Um, Previous to that, I have a lot of experiences creating shared services organizations. Early on in my career, I was at GE Healthcare and I helped them start their consulting organization. So I've always been in this mode of building new organizations um, to obviously have an impact overall on the company's mission.
0: So, Candice, one of the unique things about GBS role, I'm sure you probably know, this is very unique backgrounds. I've done Mm -hmm. interviews with people who come with consulting background, M&A background, engineers. You have a unique background, too. And that is, I think you come from the Army. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, I did ROTC in in college. I was an Army officer. I am a Desert Shield and Storm veteran. I was an ambulance platoon leader for first Cav during Desert Storm. Uh, I was in the military for a little bit over eight years, um, and then I left and decided to join the corporate life. <laughs> and so my first job out of the Army was a consultant for uh, KPMG.
0: All right. We now have an Army and consulting background in GBS, which is good. So Candice, I'm going to jump into the first question right out of the bat. Should GBS students be like entrepreneurs and should they take their services externally or should they continue to focus on their corporate business and be internal to the company?
1: There's a lot of questions in that. So the first answer is yes, GBS should continue to be entrepreneurs, right? I mean, our goal is to continue to grow our organizations, right? And obviously to deliver results for the organization. Internal versus external is a very interesting debate. I would have to say it depends. (laughs) I know that that's a, a cheating answer, but I really think it depends on your experience. So if I think about my experience spinning off from Merck, you know, they really had an opportunity to sell their GBS to us, right? Now we had a transactional services agreement, which is very common when you divest, right? But they could have said, you know what, don't stand up a GBS organization. We will do that for you and we'll charge you, right? So they could have in that situation, they knew our company, they knew our structure, they knew our customers, right? They could have taken advantage of that and offered that as a fee for service, right? So that would be Mm -hmm. one example. I think something else I've recently come across too is the tools. I've run into two different organizations right now that are touting themselves as the expert of somebody else's tool, right? So I think if you're really good at something, you really have to be Best in class, right? To be able to go out to the market to say, you know, work with us, and I can provide value, and I will drive value for your organization.
0: Got it, Candice. I think what you're saying is instead of just maybe the initial stage is the labor cost arbitrage, multi-location, multi-function, but evolve to kind of like an as-is service where you could offer it for a fee, and maybe not the traditional budgeting, but more of a uh, fee-based model. Right.
1: You see a lot of GBS organizations transitioning to solutions, right? So, again, another example um, that they are starting to promote their services as a solution versus, you know, come transition your services to us. So they can do that internally. They can do that externally. And then there's a potential if they have a really good experience that whoever the client that they're working for would be interested in them then being the future provider of that service, right? And that can be done internally or externally. And it's a great way to grow your GVS organization.
0: Got it. Next question, Candice, is more around what next for the GVS based on the maturity. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about at what stage of maturity do you think Argonon, after it spun off from is like do you have a lot more to go or you're thinking about what next?
1: Well, fortunately, because we spun off, we were able to stand up our own GBS organization based on what we wanted, right? So I know many GBS organizations today are kind of, I don't want to say fighting, but they're fighting for scope or they're fighting for work to be transitioned. We were fortunate enough to say, as a part of SPIN, we'll take this, 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 and this, right? But that doesn't mean we're done. We still have a lot of opportunity. Again, we spun we went from a $60 billion business to a $6 billion business, right? So we have a lot of processes to clean up. We've got a lot of you know, teams to consolidate. We, you know, there's a lot of opportunities still for us to um, grow our GBS organization and continue to grow on that maturity level, even though some people would be pretty jealous if they saw our scope today.
0: Okay, got it. How do you think about uh, talent, Candice? So when you think about attracting top talent, Do you feel like the structure of the GBS is advantageous to attract top talent or it's a disadvantage?
1: So when we talk to the young people, I just started a center in Lisbon, Portugal, as an example. So I'm hiring 200 people in Portugal and almost one of their top probably five questions is what's your company mission? We're fortunate at Organon because our mission is to focus on women's health and make it better for women every day. That's a pretty amazing mission that people can resonate to or relate to. Um, And so, you know, we've kind of checked that block, right? We've got an amazing company mission. Second thing is, is how are we growing? Again, I, as I mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of growth opportunities. So people see that growth, they see how they can grow as an individual within our organization which is really important to people but the other thing is is that lisbon is a growing location from a shared services perspective right so they also see hey if i come here and i develop these skills that opens up the door for me to go to another gbs organization that maybe organon's not ready to promote me or they don't have that next layer job but the company down the street does and so I feel really fortunate that we've got a great story from a talent pipeline perspective just based on our company mission.
0: Got it. Follow-up question to that. Why Lisbon? Oh, uh, oh my
1: gosh. (laughs) What does it look at? (laughs) You know, it was interesting. So we did the whole study, right? We did. We had all these um, factors that we were looking at. And for me, because I've had shared services all over the world, what was really important to me was ease of access. So, you know, if you think about trying to get to Prague, or Rosloff, Poland, right? From the US, and I live in the Midwest, so it's not even a direct flight from the East Coast, right? It's getting from the Midwest to the East Coast, to the that, to the that, to the that, right? So to me, it was, where can I go in the world that I got pretty good access? And Lisbon is like probably number one on the list, right? So the access, because it's not only about me traveling to the center, but it's about our leaders. So we've got a big global presence. And we have a lot of people in Europe and a lot of our leaders are in Europe. And I want them to want to stop at the center. I want them to engage with the team. I want them to see the amazing work that we're doing. And if you make it too difficult for them to get there, they're not going to show up, right? So our global headquarters is in Switzerland, right? So a lot of people go from the U.S. to Switzerland or somewhere in Europe to Switzerland. So it's really easy to stop in in Lisbon on their way to Switzerland. So, um, So one was ease of access so Lisbon. Two was, as we looked at these locations, we were tied with Lisbon and another location. And we said, you know what, our mission is to focus on women's health. In what country or city is really going to support that mission? And that really ended up being the tiebreaker is what location was really going to support our focus um, on women's health. And that's how we decided on Lisbon.
0: I'm really curious on that. So how did you figure that out? Because women's health is very important, but specifically like Portugal or Lisbon, caring about that more versus another country. It's a, bit of a harder distinction, I guess.
1: Well, it's about women's right. It's a, you know, and who supports that. Um, okay. y- y- so there's political issues <laughs> with that.
0: Okay, got it. So let's switch in gears now. So how do you um, think about delivering value? How do you measure? How do you think about evolving with time?
1: Well, so first of all, and I say this probably every single day, we have to deliver on the scope that we have, right? We need to meet our SLAs. We need to meet our commitments because if we don't do that, we're not gonna open up any future doors. So ticket to play is we have to deliver on the current scope that we have today. No questions asked. When you think about, you know, you hear this comment from a lot of people saying, we're data rich, but information poor. I think that there is a key spot for GBS to get in there. And it's not just about data analytics, but we're processing all this work. We know the clients, we know the, we know the vendors, right? We know the, we know our customers. How do we start looking at the data that's flowing through our organization and being able to then read You know, present that back to the organization in a very meaningful way, and maybe things that they haven't even thought about before, right? That, and I think that we are in the perfect position as a GBS organization to drive those insights and deliver that value.
0: Got it. And Candice, so GBS at Organon is it mostly captive, mostly BPO hybrid? How's it structured?
1: It's actually mostly BPO. I'm probably two thirds BPO and one third captive.
0: How did you decide which function BPO, which function captive?
1: It's not my function. Within the function, we have both. Um, Mm -hmm. What happened was as we were, again, we were divested, right? So as we spun off of Merck, I was trying to de-risk the organization. And so as I was standing up this organization, I said, how much more? Because it was the opposite for Merck. It was two-thirds captive and one-third BPO. And I flipped Mm -hmm. it because I didn't know what my future was going to be. I didn't know how big I was going to get. I didn't know if there was going to be cuts, right? And so I wanted to then de-risk my organization. And so my BPO organization is very focused on transactional processing, getting Mm -hmm. the work out the door. My captive organization is focused on our controls, SOX controls, global process owners, escalations, right. That sits within my captive. And it's been really interesting because obviously I'm hiring people that have been in Lisbon shared services centers before. And they're like, we love this model. We like, we haven't worked in this model before, because usually when you're in Europe and you do a captive, it's almost hundred percent captive. So when I was interviewing people for these roles, I'm like, have you ever supported Asia? No. Have you ever sorted the U S no. Right. It was, it was I'm captive and I supported Europe, right? And so it was really hard for me to find somebody who actually had full global, you know, experience because from the talent that I was seeing, captive is very much focused on Europe and some had U.S., but nobody Mm -hmm. had Asia, right? So they're really excited about this model um, that that they've now joined.
0: Got it. Closing question for you. Would... BPO's be alive 10 years from now. There's a lot of debate out there, strong opinions. I'm talking 10 years from now. Yeah. What's your yeah. take?
1: Wow, you know, I've got a BPO that I've been working with. Well, actually, <laughs> they were GE when I was back at GE. And so, I mean, I've, I've been with them almost all my career, right? So um, it'd be hard for me to imagine them not to be around 10 years from now, considering I've seen the birth of that, of that company. Um, but I, I know that they're all trying to um, re-image themselves as well, right? They're trying to go down more the consulting path. They're trying to compete with the Accentures of the world and the and the bigger consulting organizations. So um, I, I still think there's a role there, you know. Uh, Going digital and and trying to do automation, it's not easy. I mean, some people are better at it than others, I guess, but um, I think that's gonna take us all a while to to get through that process. So I would say 10 years, I still see it. 20 years, uh, then maybe that's in question.
0: Got it. Candice, thank you so much for being our guest. Wonderful insights.
1: Well, thank you for having me.